Today's episode is sponsored by the American Chemistry Council. Chemistry creates, America competes. Confirming I'm recording, just in case something bad happens, it is going. All right, we, we ride. I'm Annie Reese. This is Politico Dispatch. Today, I'm Alex Ward. I'm a national security reporter at Politico, and I anchor our national security daily newsletter. Alex Ward on Russia's continued aggression toward Ukraine. What's changed, what hasn't, and what we should all be watching. You and I talked a couple weeks ago in late January. The status update then was that there had been weeks of diplomatic talks with Russia, which had not worked, and the threat of an invasion seemed imminent. So where are we now? In both, oddly, a slightly better and arguably worse place. Um, In terms of slightly better, it does seem like the timeline that we all heard initially, that there would be an attack by Russia into Ukraine by mid-February, has not been pushed back to the end of February. And the reason for that seems to be that there's an Olympics in Beijing, and the last thing Vladimir Putin, the Russian president, wants to do is anger his old buddy Xi Jinping, the leader of China, during his marquee event. They just actually met before the Olympic Games, in which they both put out an incredibly lengthy uh, 5,300-word statement, and you know, in which they basically said we're simpatico on a lot of things. So the last thing the Kremlin wants to do now is anchor China when they've got a major backer, um, perhaps in anticipation of a lot of diplomatic isolation. So that's sort of the good news, I guess. Um, and yeah. this provides some space for France and Germany and still the United States and a forum, you know, a constellation of European actors to work on a diplomatic resolution to this conflict. Mm-hmm. The worst news is... There are a lot more Russian troops on Ukraine's border now. You know, we're at roughly 130,000 or so, depending on, you know, what estimates you follow. The Russians have Ukraine surrounded on three separate borders, Russian, Belarusian, and uh, Moldovan. And it looks like, based on current intel estimates, or at least U.S. officials have told uh, lawmakers this, that Putin has about 70% of the troops he needs to take over Ukraine sort of all out. Now, he already has the troops he needs to do a smaller incursion or cyber attacks or a bunch of other, you know, quote unquote, smaller things. But in terms of the like worst case scenario, full on invasion, perhaps even, you know, takeover of the government yeah. that he's like almost there to getting the, the resources and the, the personnel that he needs. Do we know more now? Do we have any clearer picture of the stakes of what were what would happen if Russia were to invade? Or is there more like intelligence or information we have? Or is it just... We know about the same when we're just sort of watching and waiting. We know a few more specifics. One on the diplomatic front, we know that the U.S. gave its answers to Russia's demands. Putin was unhappy about it. He said so openly for the first time since December that the U.S. and the West and NATO had not met uh, its concerns. And so that looks pretty bad for the diplomatic prospect. Um, If that's what you're sort of hanging your hat on at this point or hoping for, for if we're not going to see... Uh, another land invasion um, in Europe and on the, the likes that we haven't seen since World War II. The other thing we we know is a bit more specifics as to what Russia might be planning. Mm. Based on the an allegation of the, the U.S. government in, backed by Britain and other European governments, Russia was thinking of filming a pretty, you know, dastardly video, which would have been fake, show, you know, a false flag operation, essentially, in which Russia would show in this video that Ukraine attacked Russian territory or Russian-speaking people, and that therefore Putin would have the pretext he would need to launch 
the invasion. The U.S., in a somewhat dramatic move, declassified in raw intelligence about this and exposed uh, the plan. In I should say, we have no evidence, concrete evidence, that this is the case. What we mm-hmm. have is the U.S. government's word on this. Um, but it does fit into the Russian playbook. Some European governments, mainly the U.K., have said they agree with this intelligence, that they've seen, you know, that they have it. And it's hard, frankly, I mean, to be fully fair, for the U.S. government to provide even more evidence here because then they get into the realm of burning sources and methods. However, I I should say the Biden administration has been dismissive of reporters asking for evidence and rightfully asking for evidence. Oh, right. Yeah. Last week, there were a couple of kind of testy exchanges between White House and State Department spokespeople and reporters. You had Ned Price of uh, the State Department basically say, you know, to Matt Lee of the Associated Press, like, look, if you don't want to believe us here, you can take solace in the Russian view of yeah. this. I think you well, know. Okay, well, where, where is it? Where, where is this information? It is intelligence information that we have declassified. Well, where is it? Where is the declassified information? I just delivered it. No, you made a series of allegations and would statements. You, would you like us to print out the topper? Because you will see it. Um, we've also had Jen Psaki from the White House podium criticize Josh Hawley, uh, Senator Josh Hawley. He basically said, look, you know, we want Ukraine to be safe and sovereign and not taken over by force, but... Should we be sending our resources to Europe in this way when China's the bigger challenge? And Saki from the White House podium basically said that like, he was digesting and propagating Russian disinformation and misinformation. It should be said, like, I don't want to discount that there is an odd symbiosis between right-wing figures right now and Russian talking points. Tucker Carlson lead among them. But to imply, basically, that people who disagree with the Biden administration's policies towards Ukraine or the reporters asking for evidence about these allegations of intelligence to basically paint them as like people who would prefer Russian talking points over those of the American government was was a wrong way to go and frankly turned what should have been a pretty good day for the Biden administration, right? Not only revealing that intelligence, but it was the day that they had killed the leader of ISIS. Like they turned that, that should have been a, a sort of win for them uh, into a, a media mess that we're obviously we're talking about now. Yeah. So distracting a bit from where we are now, which is basically... More troops and still waiting. That's that's sort of where we are, is that we have more troops, fewer prospects of a diplomatic solution, a little more insight into what Russia may be planning as a pretext. But otherwise, sort of on the whole, we're still in this same space of like, is Putin going to do it or not? Because we still don't know, per U.S. officials and European officials, if he's made the decision to invade. He's just given himself a lot of options. And could the government and economy of Ukraine fall even without a full invasion? It's a great question. And this is something that uh, U.S. and European officials are working on right now. So, you know, one plan that the U.S. and Europeans seem to be alleging is that, you know, the Russians may try to do a quote unquote smaller invasion of like eastern Ukraine, which would be easier to take over, let's say, um, more sympathetic people. They already have a foothold in the Donbass and, and elsewhere. And as they move westward, you could see a refugee crisis. A bunch of Ukrainians flee uh, into Poland and elsewhere in Europe. You maybe even could see some government figures of Ukraine flee. I mean, um, a massive refugee crisis, right? Yeah, pretty a pretty big one. I mean, we're talking millions here. Um, you yeah. know, it's a, it's a, it would not be a small thing, right? It would be yet another major <laughs> refugee crisis in Europe, and 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 one, of course, uh, born of war. So. Let's be clear, there, there, it doesn't need to be like Russian tanks rolling into Kyiv and deposing the government outright. There can be other ways in which 
you know, the government loses legitimacy or officials fear for their lives or, or you know, may, or whatever. Um, again, this is sort of like in the, oh, goodness, you know, this is the worst, close to the worst case scenario. But it is one that U.S. and European officials are wrestling with because some intelligence seems to suggest that this is one of the options Putin has. There's a bipartisan group of senators that has been negotiating a sanctions bill, which has been moving relatively fast by congressional standards, but sort of slow in terms of watching it play out alongside this conflict. Where is that at? Yeah, it's funny. I was just talking to sources a little bit about this uh, before we got on the call. Uh, (laughs) It seems to be moving slightly faster. Actually, the thing that I find most fascinating is there's broad agreement on a lead lease program. So for the first time since World War II, it seems like lawmakers are totally fine with just basically gifting weapons to Ukraine and and then they'll pay back at some future date. We did this for Britain and a bunch of other countries in World War II. And I should say, Britain just paid us back, you know, not that long ago. Like, that's in the bill. John Cornyn and and Gene Shaheen have backed it. It seems to be that there's broad agreement on it. So that's actually not the controversial part. The controversial part seems to be sanctions now versus later. Mm. This has been the, the, the constant debate between Democrats and Republicans. It does seem like we are headed at the moment to a place where this legislation would enact some sanctions on Russia for its for its actions already, right? Cyber attacks on the government, other, you know, other actions it's already done towards Ukraine as kind of like a warning shot, but saving the really punitive stuff for later and also providing President Biden with a lot of waivers and a lot of wiggle room as to when or not to impose these sanctions. Wow. The question, though, and this is something that, that Cornyn has told our own colleague, Andrew Desiderio, is like, well, can we get this done in time <laughs> before yeah. there is an invasion, right? Whether, like, let's say, as we're talking, they, you know, Menendez and Rish and all these people come up and say, we have a deal. That we're moving forward. Okay, well, it still has to pass the Senate. That takes some time. And it still has to pass the House. That takes some yeah. time. And, you know, with shortened calendars and, and other things going on. It's a midterm year, et cetera, et cetera. We've heard some progressives already show some skepticism about passing this bill. Not that I think that that could block it at this point, because I think there'll be enough Republicans who will support it to offset that. But, you know, that's still a political calculation. Does Team Biden and a bunch of other Democrats, do they want to anger the progressive wing with pushing something through? These are all, you know, domestic political calculations. Either way, I can't imagine they push this through the Senate and get it to Biden's desk in quick order. So that gives Putin, you know, more time, let's say, or at least a little bit of wiggle room to do something before that bill is written and, and, and perhaps passed into law. I'm sure among the many things Putin is keeping an eye on is also this process. And as more time has passed and we've seen more and more chatter about Russian aggression and the sort of what and why of it all, is there something you think is misunderstood? I would say is I think we're getting more and more evidence that, and I think this is always the case, but this isn't about Ukraine, right, Mm -hmm. by itself. French President Emmanuel Macron is going to to Russia this week. German Chancellor Olaf Scholz is going next week. It's possible that together they make some sort of deal about Ukraine status and NATO, you know, future status in NATO. Okay, fine. Um, and maybe that allows Putin to back off. But very few experts, at least I'm talking to, and that, you know, I see you know, writing things, believe this is really all about Ukraine. This is really about what can Russia get about you know, the relations with Europe and the U.S. now in this post-post-Cold War era, let's say. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's it, obviously Ukraine is a part of it. I'm not minimizing that. You know, he does not want to see a country that he believes is in his sphere of influence moving westward. But he would yeah. also 
you know, not like to see further NATO expansion. He would also not like to see greater European cohesion and talks of uh, Europe strengthening its own defenses. This is really about, you know, what can he get? And if he can't get it through a diplomatic channel, perhaps, he will do it through the military channel. And I should say, there are people even skeptical of that, that this is just Putin, you know, biding time before he just goes ahead and does an invasion. And that's also possible. This could also just be, and I don't think we should minimize this either, just one dictator's desire to redraw the map of Europe by force. It could Mm -hmm. be as simple as that. So, you know, is it about Ukraine? Yes, nominally. But I think it's about sort of something bigger in Putin's mind. Uh, And this is something that the U.S. and Europeans are struggling with too. Because to what extent are they willing to negotiate for those higher you know, ideals. How much is a war in Ukraine worth it to them to restructure their own views of how the U.S. and Europe should engage not only on that continent, but towards Russia? So we're talking about really high politics here beyond, mm-hmm. the, of course, the immediate and, and no less important future in the sovereignty of Ukraine. Alex Ward, thank you so much for talking with me. Yeah, thanks for having me back. Also today, German Chancellor Olaf Scholz will meet with President Biden today, his first meeting since taking over as chancellor in December. And lawmakers in at least a dozen states are working on bills to increase transparency around school curricula, the next step in a battle over what is taught in classrooms. Introduced by Republican legislators, the bills would, in some states, allow taxpayers to sit in on classes or make staff professional development sessions open to members of the public. Today's episode of Politico Dispatch included music composed by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. Be sure to follow Politico Dispatch if you haven't yet, and if you can, leave us a rating and review. It helps more people find the show. I'm Annie Reese. Thanks so much for listening. <laughs>